So welcome to the Thought Garden on the Air, where entrepreneurs who have a story to tell come to bring out their inner author. I'm your host, Alexis Quintel, the CEO and owner of Rosarium PR and Marketing Collective. Rosarium is a public relations and marketing company, and we focus on supporting business owners with their personal branding, um, and many of which are also interested in telling their stories as an author. So today's guest, we have Alexandra Chan, who goes by Aleshka. She's an archaeologist, an author, and an artist. Uh, she successfully launched two small businesses in her career, an award-winning family lifestyle and business branding photography business and a Chinese brush painting business. Um, it'll be really interesting to see how these two are aligned in her second book that she's writing called In the Garden Behind the Moon, a memoir of loss, myth, and magic. Um, so it'll really illustrate some of the Chinese brush paintings that she's created in the past. So I'll definitely put a link to her website and you can sign up for her mailing list. She's starting her pre-orders soon. So it's a really exciting time for her. So welcome, Aleshka. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Alexis. It's good to be here. Yeah. Well, I'd love for you to just give a quick introduction of yourself, like where you're from and what your life was like growing up, just to mm -hmm. kick it right off. Sure. <laughs> Um, I, I was a 70s and 80s kid, um, you know, free range, pre-internet age. I grew up in the horse and cow country of Western New York and was an only child until I was nine, which is kind of long time to be an only child. You know, I had a very vivid imagination and a rich inner life that I think that being an only child those things just only got stronger um, as a result. And that serves me to this day, I think. Um, and other than that, it was a fairly typical upbringing for the time, different in a couple ways. One is that we were just one of two interracial non-white families in the whole town, which means I sort of grew up in between worlds. You know, I didn't necessarily fit anywhere exactly, but also had to find a place for myself everywhere. And I think looking back, it just made me familiar with this feeling of ambiguity, um, uncertainty, shades of gray, uh, gray areas that I think also have continued to serve me as I've started, you know, in, in my adult life, as I've leaned into these pivots that I've been making. Um, it means that I, I'm at least familiar with the feeling of not necessarily knowing, but being willing to embark anyway and do it anyway. And then the the other kind of big way that it was different was that there was such a huge age gap between my parents. So my mom, as she was forging ahead as one of the first women coders and, and a, like a, a female executive at Kodak, my dad was settling into retirement and becoming a, a stay-at-home dad for me as I was entering right. kindergarten. And so he became my primary caregiver from a very young age. And we, we developed an incredible bond partly because of that. Also, because he was such an incredible, extraordinary character. He had such a cinematic backstory. Um, you know, he, he stole a plane from a Japanese prisoner of war camp to fly himself to freedom. He invented the first lens to take pictures of Earth from space. So we're talking like big summer blockbuster stuff. But at home, yeah. he was like charming and warm and witty and wise and, and mm -hmm. you know, um, uniquely gifted with children. So when he died, and even though the, there was the age gap, my mom was the first to go. So when my dad died and wow. he was the best parent, 
um, it just ushered in such a profound crisis in my life that it ended up being an impetus for writing the book. Mm. Mm. Wow. Thank you for sharing all of that. What an interesting <laughs> story. And, you know, that's a, just a really nice kind of story to tell of, of your parents and, you know, how you grew up and where you are today. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm excited to learn a little bit more about your advanced degree in archaeology. It's not every day you meet a doctor of archaeology. Tell us it's a little like, bit more about that. Everybody, it's like um, marine biology, right? Everybody want, goes through a phase of wanting to be an archaeologist in their life when they're kids. Right. Um, but I'm, I actually followed through with it. For me, it felt almost like destiny. Uh, I made a straight shot mm -hmm. from, you know, preschool to grad school. I never looked left or right. I never was one of those kids that didn't know what classes to take. It was wondering what, what to, to major in. It, it just felt like destiny. Maybe partly because um, while my mom was an executive, she had also wanted to be an archeologist and had been discouraged mm -hmm. by basically everyone because it, it right. was not considered to be a, a viable career path for a woman in that time. And so she had to pack that dream up and put it away and get a so-called real job, but she never gave up. She never lost the passion for it. And so our house was like filled to the rafters with books about human evolution and ancient civilizations and great discoveries. And we would look at the books and, and pictures together. We would talk about theories. And I think that her excitement kind of ignited my own. So that as I got older, I ended up being the archaeologist in a way for both of us. Right. I, I made my reputation on the archaeology of Northern slavery. Um, I think most people are well aware that there's slavery in the South and the Caribbean. People are much less aware of how entrenched slavery was actually in, in the North and in New England as well during the colonial period. So I've, the, the first couple decades of my career, I spent um, talking about that all over the world, writing about it all over the place. I will say that um, now sitting here with you, kind of have my my author hat on. I still don't feel mm -hmm. that I've really left the archaeology fully behind. I mean, I did no. bring, bring a lot of the the tools and and uh, training that I had as an archaeologist came in handy for the writing of this book because um, you know. When my dad died, I sort of turned to the one thing I still knew how to do almost on autopilot, which is to start sifting, right. sift through the detritus of a life. You, I know how to find mm -hmm. artifacts and fragments and documents and stories and, and myths and legends. And I know how to locate patterns and connections and how to bring them all together to start making meaning, um, which is mm -hmm. basically what a story is. Right. Right. Uh, so in the wake of that profound crisis, I started basically almost by accident excavating my own life. And that led to, <laughs> to the book. Right. I never thought of that before, how like adaptable something like as yeah. scientific and, and right focused as archaeology. But there's a lot of skills that you've learned there that you can I really, adapt in something I really, like writing. I hadn't thought of how it could be adapted to other things either myself. It's been a surprising and very gratifying learning curve. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know you've talked to about your parents and how much of a role model and, and mentor they've been to you, but did you have anyone else that was like a role model or mentor who impacted your life throughout your journey? Yeah. Um, I was so, so, so lucky to have the dad that I did. I'm going to add to that to him, um, my elders as a whole. Um, 
when I started, when I turned to their lives and deeds to kind of try to save myself um, in through writing about them and stuff, I very quickly started realizing that these people are way bigger than me. Like they're not just meant for me. Um, mm-hmm. And I realized the way that they were becoming abstracted enough to the idea of father, elder, that kind of through this, I don't know, strange alchemy of story um, could become sort of father, elder for my readers as well, and continue to work their healing powers and their influence on the world long after they're gone. So I'm so happy and grateful um, that that's going to be possible uh, for them. But I think also, I want to say I really believe in this idea of when the student is ready, the teacher will come. Because outside mm-hmm. of the family, I've had this experience numerous times in my life. Probably the most recent and, and impactful it, um, examples of this would be like when I met my Chinese brush painting teacher, Bruce, who is this older white man painting really traditional Chinese art in the heart of New England, where everybody, wow. you know, all the iconography around here is like boats and anchors. And I saw him at a, a local farmer's market in his little stand with these beautiful, chi- like looked like ancient Chinese paintings. I signed up for his uh, mailing list. I started taking lessons uh, with him without any intention, uh, any expectation to be have any talent at it. I only wanted to do something that would delight me, that would distract me from the, the anguish of having lost my dad. But like, lo and behold, it, it was almost like this thing was almost fully formed and hiding, waiting in the wings. And I didn't know it was there until he came along and almost like midwifed it out of me. <laughs> he formed. It was, it, was, it was shocking. And like, yeah. only less than a year or about a year after my very first lesson, I um, opened my Chinese brush painting business, Rising Phoenix Arts, and I, I still don't know how it happened. It feels magical, you know? I, it's meant to be. <laughs> I think that the, you know, readers will also see, you know, finding the painting was great because it gave me a whole nother way to access and tell my stories. And in the book, you'll see that um, the stories are told not just with words, but equally through these full color original artworks and through the photographs. So pictures, paintings, and words come together. It's like a symphony. It's like a tapestry all coming together magically. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. So what, what is, um, what drives you the most? Like, what are you most excited about right now when you wake up every day? Ah, um, I think it has to be that, I have quite by chance stumbled on something really profound for myself. And I'm really driven by the desire to share it with others. I think it's one of the um, cuter, more endearing aspects of uh, our human species is that we're um, ultimately a communal animal. And most of us, if we're healthy and well-adjusted, if we, when we find something cool or interesting or helpful, what do we want to do? Most of us want to run to the nearest mountaintop and start shouting it from, you know, shouting it down to everybody in the earnest spirit of, of service. And that's where I am right now. I just really want to use my creative gifts to help others break out, break out of their certainties, break, um, uh, encourage them to lean, to take 
creative risks of their own to start listening mm -hmm. to that little voice in your head that's giving you these wackadoodle ideas and telling you to leave the beaten path um, and all these scary things, but can often lead to unplanned for success. That's what I want to do. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Once you get to that, that mountaintop yourself, you just want to spread that goodness with other people and help them get there, you know, help yeah. them through their journey. Yeah. It's motivating. It is. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about your career. So how did you start to connect your artistic talents with your passion for writing and realize, wait, I can actually like make a living off of this. Like when was that, when did that connection happen? Um, I would love to say that I had a grand plan for how all this would unfold. It feels a lot, right. a lot more accidental than that, a lot more magical, which um, I guess the word for that, for a magical accident is serendipity, right? It feels serendipitous. I, right. uh, I've always been a very creative person. I always had hobbies and projects going on, but they were always sidelined. Um, you know, I never considered any way that I could harness any of these creative pursuits to help me make a living um, until this, this thing happened and my dad died. And um, I, it added, I mean, it more than shattered me. It atomized me. I, mm -hmm. there was nothing left of that. I, that was recognizable about myself. And so, so then started the slow, painful process of putting it back together. But the thing is, I know, I know this from archaeology already. When you break something beyond all recognition, you can mend it in the lab with glue and stuff, but it's never going to go back the way it originally no, was. It'll never be the same. Right. And there's going to be cracks and, and seams in there. And I do think that there's sort yeah. of a looseness or openness about me now that perhaps was lacking before so that uh, when this voice or not necessarily voice, but this knowing came to me that I had to bring the creativity more center stage because it was the only place that I felt like I could even live um, was in creative flow. Like if I wasn't in creative flow, I felt like I was dying basically with the, the grief mm -hmm. was so intense. Um, so I was, I had to bring the creativity more center stage. Um, and I was open enough to just start doing that. And I started painting like crazy and, um, I, one day I did a painting of a monkey. He was swinging in vines in a Chinese misty mountain range. And I kind of shot, I shyly shared it on Facebook to show my friends what I was working on. And out of no, like, and almost immediately I got a DM from an old acquaintance of mine who was, uh, I knew from high school and was from Vietnam. And he was like, can I buy that monkey? I was like, what? Oh, wow. um, <laughs> the, my first uh, and my first answer and initial instinct was just a knee, knee jerk, like, don't be ridiculous. No, there's right, a right. smudge on the You're paper. It's going to be really weird and hard to frame and it's not the right size. Let me do another one, um, a better one for you, like more to your specifications. And he just cut me off and he was like, no, I want that one. And so right. I, I sold it to him. I could not believe wow. it. But within like four months of doing that, I, without coming up for air, I, I eventually did emerge and I looked around and I was almost buried by my own production and quite by chance, or maybe not, um, it was a very well-rounded production. It looked like the inventory of a small store. So I, I start, I put up a little 
online shop. I hit publish. I burst into tears because I didn't know what I was doing. It felt like something completely crazy and, and off the wall. And like, like magic, the next morning, I had three orders waiting for me in my inbox. Oh, my gosh. And it was very similar with uh, the photography business as well. I took pictures for a friend uh, as a favor. She posted them on Facebook, bada bing, bada boom. All of a sudden, I'm booking shoots. Mm. Now, what? Wow. I did not have that on my <laughs> I didn't have that <laughs> that year, you know? Yeah. Um, but that so turned exciting. out to be very successful. I had that for 12 years, the last five of which I was voted best photographer in my city. And I think what it did was having these two back-to-back um, successes of uh, leaving, leaving the beaten path, letting creativity lead and starting these two small creative businesses and finding success there twice in a row. When I, when that little voice chimed in again and, and wanted me to pivot once more to write a book now, I was less suspicious of it. I was less fearful of it. I had heard that voice before. It had told me some weird ideas and led me in a way I was, didn't think I was headed, but it hadn't led me astray. And so I, I listened to it. Um, and that is why Good. I actually stopped the photography business is because I felt this need to write the book. And, and it took some courage yeah. to do that because I was at the top of my game. I mean, it was a very successful business. Yeah. Um, and to just like shut it down so you can go write a book. What? Like um, it took some courage. To yeah. Um, <laughs> the fact that I had done it twice before helped me to make that decision a third time. Yeah. You didn't, you become more comfortable with making these big, what people would yeah. say are risks. Right. Exactly. And a lot of people are afraid. They never even make their, take their first risk. <laughs> So right. the fact you've taken three now. Right. And the more you the more you do it, if you just can get yourself to do it once and see where it leads. Right. Um, right. It can open up a whole new world for you going forward. Absolutely. I feel the same way. Um, well, I'm excited to learn more about your book. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about it? Like what genre is it? I know I said the title, but if you can remind us. Um, yeah. Um, it, a deeper into that. It's called um, In the Garden Behind the Moon. It's a... Uh, uh, a, a memoir of loss, myth, and magic. Uh, memoir is a little bit of a small word here. I feel like it's because it's not just my story. It's it's also an invitation. Um, so you've got on the one hand, it's it's a rollicking page turner, but on the other hand, it's also a gentle guidebook for anyone who has lost hope, anyone who has struggled um, to find and make meaning in the times that we live in, whether this is like personal difficulties, societal, global, maybe it's all three. Um, I think we can all relate to yeah. that. Um, yep. On the one hand, it is this epic tale. You know, it starts with my grandfather escaping his own beheading in China. It travels to the the Jim Crow American South. It goes from the Pacific Theater of World War II to the Black Sands of Rainisfjara, Iceland, and beyond. So there's memoir, there's world travel, there's um, uh, art, myth, poetry. But underneath it, it is also basically the, the story of the 
birth of an artist, right? I'm, I, the archeologist and long, lifelong rationalist have finally made my greatest discovery to date, which is the healing power of enchantment. And what's more, I've brought back a roadmap for others to do this in their own lives. So it's an, an invitation to my readers as well to find their own inner storyteller and their own inner artist so that they can start um, making meaning and art out of their lives because we can all do this. Yeah. And part of the yeah. whole point of my book is that we need to all be doing this. The earth, the world is calling out for us all to be doing more of this kind of right. work. I love that you've almost created like a reality within magic, a, you know, something very unique about your book. It sounds, I'm excited to kind of dig a little bit more into it um, you. as you have the pre-order come out and everything, but just this idea of like enchantment and, and almost like, it almost sounds like you're, you're not, you're describing something that would be fiction. Yes. But you're creating a yes. reality that people can actually grasp onto yes. and utilize in their own lives. That's amazing. This is why I really chafe under the word memoir because it is so much more than that. And I honestly, right. you know, if, if you love fiction and fantasy and, and magic and yeah. enchantment, it's going to be, it's in there too. I promise. And Ooh, it's pretty cool. So what, what was the writing process like for you? Were there any parts where you like got stuck? Did you have writer's block? Like what was that experience like? Uh, definitely, definitely. Anyone who says that is totally lying, right? It has to happen. Yeah. <laughs> process. Um, uh, for me, the writing process was the most fun I've ever had ever in my whole life. It was so fun. It was joyous and joyful. I never resonated with this idea that like writing a book was like, like an author doing battle with dragon, you know, leaving their blood and guts on the page. It never, that doesn't really resonate with me. It was joyful. Mm. That said, of course, I did have writer's block. And of course, I had um, moments and sometimes longer than moments of self-doubt and also fear. There's a lot of fear around shining my light this bright um, because this is the most vulnerable thing I've ever done. Um, yeah. And I, th I think that the hardest part about it was maintaining a belief in what I had created, um, even through long years and setbacks. Uh, one of the things that I found very helpful was to try to um, explicitly remain curious and playful about it. So I played a lot of what if games instead yes. of, uh, it just keeps things light, you know, so it doesn't feel like it's yeah. written in stone. So there's like a point at which I didn't, I had all these stories, but I didn't know how they were going to hang together to make a, a, a book. And I had this mm -hmm. inkling that it was like, what if it was, what if it's the arc of the Chinese Zodiac? What if it's like year of the ram, year of the monkey, year of the rooster? And and on it goes, I'm like, I don't know, like, is that even going to work? Um if I hadn't said what if, I probably wouldn't even have tried. But asking the question, what if, gave me permission to experiment and play. And let's see if it works. Let's see. Let's just do it. And and yeah. as, as far as it'll go and, and see if it works. And lo and behold, it did work. It worked perfectly, beautifully. So use the word what if. Comes together. <laughs> Stay curious. Um, I think also uh, getting a practice in place was really important. For me, that meant leaving the photography behind because I had to make room in my life to write the book. And that was a hard decision to make, but I knew it wouldn't, 
I couldn't write it if I didn't um, make room for it in my life. And so I had like a nine to five, or nine, not nine to five, like nine to 11, two hours a day, five days a week. I'd show up at my computer, kind of like a shopkeeper opening up for business, yeah. whether, whether I was going to get any customers that day or not, it didn't matter. I was open. Um, and I found that way that sometimes I'd done it the opposite way before, which is like, I can't write unless I'm inspired. And I found it's really the opposite. Inspiration isn't going to come until you're sitting there ready for it. Um, at least for me, that's what I found. And the, yeah. the third aspect I think that was I would really advocate is making getting an accountability for yourself. So I had a little accountability group going of three. We would meet every two weeks and talk about our goals. And so there are many times where I might have thrown up my hands, walked away, given up, and I couldn't because I had to report back in two weeks. So um, that's what it was like. And and gradually, uh, it just happens. Even if you can only do, maybe you can't do two hours. Maybe you can only do, can you do 15 minutes, 20 minutes? Right. Um, over time, it builds up. And, and you know, there, a book can only be so long, right? I mean, as long <laughs> as it can't go on forever. If you can only come at it for 20 minutes at a time, eventually you're still going to finish. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious too. I mean, I think your story is a little bit different. I mean, you have been an entrepreneur, you've owned multiple businesses, but you really leaned into being an author as kind of going, at least going forward, who knows how long or what, what might change, but this is kind of like your main career focus right now, your professional right. focus. Um, and so how, how has that affected your personal brand? Because you've obviously had different areas of expertise. You were known as a photographer, you were known as an artist, now an author. How have you kind of seen that journey impact your your personal brand? I hope that I've brought, I feel like I've brought most of my customers, clients, followers, friends, community along with me on this journey. They've kind of seen the right. metamorphosis happening in real time. And they've decided, the ones that are still there have decided they're, they're there to experience it with me. So that's great. Um, I think, yeah. I, hope, I hope that um, writing this book shows that I I'm basically putting my money where my mouth is. I've been jibber jabbering a couple of several years um, advocating for the rich embodied creative life, listening to your intuition and that inner voice, leaving the beaten path, leaning into creativity. Um, and here I am doing it. This is me doing it. Mm. Um, and, you know, and more, it's like, Let's start a conversation. See, this is how I've done it. Let's see what you can do um, in the same way. Yeah. I hope it will raise interest and awareness in my art. I think there's going to be like a positive feedback loop there. Um, once people read my book, they're going to want a piece of it for themselves, I think. And my husband joked that I need to up all my prices before the book comes out. <laughs> right. I don't think I'll do that. That sounds too cynical. But um, the other thing is that people who read my book or people who come to my art are also going to discover my book. And I think that round and round it will go. Uh, I, I think as far as what it means for my personal brand, if you can call it that right now, is that by stepping more fully into my own um, authenticity, it has magnetized all of the work that I put out into the world. And I think that people mm. are drawn to authentic self. Yeah. They just naturally Absolutely. are. 
it reminds them of their own authenticity and how they want to be. Mm -hmm. That's why I want to say we really can't be afraid to shine um, our light, even yeah. if it seems to be leading us in this really weird, wonky direction that we didn't think we were going. Do it anyway. Right, right. Follow that light. Yeah. Let it lead you. There's yeah. a reason for it at the end. Yeah. yeah. Cause that little voice is very wise. It sounds like a little weird. <laughs> it's not, it's really wise. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've definitely learned to lean into it and really seen the fruits of that. So mm -hmm. it's always nice to see other people experiencing that as well. And so how are you celebrating the launch of your book? I know it's coming up in May. What is the plan? How can we follow along on your journey yeah. with the launch? Yeah, I, um, I, I hope to have, I'm going to have a launch party. I'm working on fine, nailing down a venue right now. I want it to be cozy and familiar. I don't want it to be like a, I don't know. I just want it to be like pub and library, yeah. pub and library vibes. That's kind of what I'm looking <laughs> for. Um, and uh, there'll be some book events as well, but uh, I haven't, those aren't on the books yet. And so I'm just focusing on the party and just celebrating this because it's been such a long journey and it was such a hard, right. it was such a hard one. And I just want to celebrate um, completing a journey. I feel like I've completed a journey. I'm like home. I'm back in the Shire. I'm, I'm Bilbo Baggins and I'm back in the Shire after like having this enormous <laughs> otherworldly adventure. Um, yeah. And and so where can our audience find you and connect with you online? Um, they can. I'm everywhere. <laughs> I have so many platforms. It's like I have to wear a different personality and different hat on every platform. It's sort of funny, um, but I'm used to it. It's fun. I'm enjoying it. Um, so I'm on Facebook, Instagram and TikTok, but you can uh, link to all of those from my website, which is at alexandrachan.com. Um, Pre-order okay. pre for the book is also open. Um, it's available everywhere. Uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, you know, Target, Walmart, um, wherever. You could also go to your local bookshop and pre-order it there. They would order it for you. Oh, great. Um, okay. It's Yeah, totally traditional distribution. You can get it anywhere. Um, check it out. Look at it. Look for yeah. it. I'll definitely put that in the show notes so, um, Thank so you. people can sign up for pre-ordering and just get to know your brand a little bit more, but thank you so much for, for joining us. We wish you the best on this exciting journey. Really appreciate everything it. you've shared. Yeah. I really uh, appreciate so you letting me talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> so with that, it's time to turn the page on another episode of Thought Garden on the air. We'll definitely plug all this information in the show notes. Um, if you have any questions about becoming an author, marketing your book, or if you're interested in coming on the show and sharing your story, you can connect with me at rosarium.work. We're also on all social platforms under the same name. So we'd love to hear from you. Uh, thank you for listening today. We look forward to seeing you on our next segment of the Authors on the Air radio show. Have a good day, everyone. Bye.